Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our 17th episode of Meet Us in the Lounge podcast. You finally I think got, I got it the right. number right. Okay. Um, 18, yeah, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, we're it is 17. 17. Yeah. No, 17. Right. We're on top of our game. Yeah, we're on top of our game this time for the first time, actually. Um, yeah. Um, right now, we're all in spring break, relaxing. Not really for, I think, a lot of us actually, I think we're all fairly productive this spring break. So yeah, like for me, I'm just like, I'm just studying and then doing research and working the usual. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the usual spring break, meaning every week is spring break for me. Because <laughs> you're not in school anymore. <laughs> exactly. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, I think even for people in school, the spring break is not necessarily this week. It, it varies a lot. I guess maybe college UCs are this week, but not all. Actually, I think usually we're offset from the semesters because uh, we start at different times. But for some reason this year, one of us started earlier or later. And so uh, we're having like the same spring break as like some of the CSUs. Oh, is it because our winter break got cut short? Oh, yeah, there was that. Oh. I was a little upset about that. Why did they do that? Okay, anyways. Yeah, yeah. well, we have the same spring break finally. I think for me... I didn't touch any school stuff. I was just relaxing and uh, yeah, I was helping my girlfriend move in. So that took a while. So I think we're all settled now, finally. Yeah. I was also chilling. What are you going to say it was chilling? I don't know. I feel like for me, I think the past few months, I haven't had like a real break starting like last year's spring break was my actual like last break break where I did nothing academic and just actually relaxed. Um, <laughs> I think my yeah my timeline has been summer MCAT then school then I was gonna retake in January but that got canceled but I didn't know to the week before so I studied during winter break as well and now I, I rescheduled again for April which is like in like two weeks so I've been studying this break for it so it's always been like non-stop studying and I also think it's like also like a weird spring break because in terms of like my academic professional progression, this is the year where I'm applying to med school, right? So I'm starting writing my primary statements. I'm pre-writing my secondary statements. I'm getting my letters of rec. And all of this stuff isn't like something you do randomly or suddenly. Like, oh, like, oh, oh no, I have something. To do. This is like pre-planned in my entire like academic year, what I need to do and when. And I guess this is kind of like a segue into like today's topic, which is just long-term decision making and like how far do you guys really look ahead and like what do you think about in terms of like what you're trying to do in life and how far do you plan ahead yes mm. fair enough since we're all about to graduate or we have already graduated that's that's fair yep. um, all of a sudden our podcast became more serious yeah, a little bit. Maybe for this episode, but we'll also dial down. You know, it's still going to be the same old yeah, it's stuff chill. going on. So this is yeah. the se- first episode of the second season, isn't that right? Yeah, because it is our one-year anniversary. So we're going we're gonna, to... Congratulations to us. Um, we haven't uploaded anything in like half a year, but you know, we still <laughs> record all the time. But I guess we'll just... It'll be like a yearly drop thing. We'll see what happens. You know, I think yeah. we're young and we get the we get the um the freedom to do so right and i guess to i guess the topic is like my question is like how far ahead do you guys look 
for the future really right like for me yeah. i think when i joined undergrad i looked at it in like a four-year time scope i think like, for me my like school life and like my financial life are quite different like for people that know me at school i'm kind of irresponsible when it comes to school sometimes and planning ahead so i should probably work on that but in terms of like all the other stuff for some reason i think really far into the future um like i've already like started saving up for like a house and stuff so it's kind of weird kind of like um in general it's just good to start thinking ahead i think start preparing for the future um i think especially when it comes to finances because like you build on top of your previous finances so the earlier you start the better i guess this goes for education as well though i haven't exactly applied it to my own life but in any case um I don't know, starting, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, any of you guys have, like, thought about, like, investing in, like, your house, your, like, car or something, like, those are, like, usually, like, the two largest, like, purchases for, like, any person, and so those kind of things, and maybe it's because of my upbringing, but that's why I already started thinking about it a long time ago, and I don't, I don't know if, like, normal, I don't know if most people have thought about it, but I guess I'll hear from you guys and see. Yeah, for, for context, we're all graduating in, or we will all have been graduated in June, which is three months from now. Uh, I think I already graduated a few months ago, and then the rest of us will be graduating very soon. I think, yeah, for me, I, like, during college, it was just all kind of thinking about what I was going to do throughout college and just making it through college, and now it's, like, there's uh, a lot more of the financial aspect I have to look out for and I mean I'll be starting a job in August which is what I have like planned for the future but further than that I'm still not really too sure what I'm going to be focusing on Uh, but yeah I'm definitely starting to look more into finances and investing and that sort of thing but yeah still just learning for the most part stuff that isn't really as critical to education wait where are you working i'm working at facebook as a software engineer Ooh, congratulations is it full-time yeah Ooh, congratulations facebook stock well i i will yeah that's wait what's the starting if you don't mind, if you're not comfortable talking about yeah, it, you, yeah. you don't have the answer. I'll, I'll talk about it off off the pod. Uh, All right. oh, but it, well, it's, it's a good amount. Yeah. Congratulations. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you all. Inside. Wow, crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it was also like long term planning is kind of critical because Randy and I are both trying to pursue medicine as a career. So, UCLA is not our only stop when it comes to education, right? So it's always imperative that we have that sort of timeline in our mind. Um, There's some flexibility with the gap year, right? So I think coming as naive freshmen, we thought that we could be out of UCLA in four years and then immediate, like the immediate year afterwards, we'd be in med school, right? Um, I say that's naive because there's just so much to accomplish prior to med school that sometimes uh, undergraduate and then everything at your balance outside of your academics uh, you need more than four years to balance all that effectively and try to do something meaningful right 
So again, Randy and I are going to be applying in June and that's going to be our gap year of sorts. So we'll be applying in med schools and then doing what we do, right? Things that we're interested in, something that's rooted both in personal and professional ambitions. So again, I graduated recently and I think that gave me the advantage of being able to get the head start in pursuing what I want, right? So I got a job too. Uh, you guys already knew that, but now I get to do some personal projects. Investing has been something very big, right? We had a whole discussion about it and again, it's popped up today, but I think it just goes to show that having a time to pursue that is also really key. So in a way, I'm very appreciative of this uh, time. So I think for me, when I plan long-term, it's more so like, I like to have a very broad overview of what I want to accomplish, but I'm not going to stick to that, right? Meaning like, let's say I want to do an MBA at age 25, for example, right? It's just an example, but let's say I want to do that. I'm not going to stick to that. Maybe I might try to do that earlier. Maybe I'll push it off to a few years afterwards. But if that's something that I'm very um, intent on, then I think I will most likely end up sticking to something. So in that sense, I'm pretty determined to do something that I set out to do. But I can be flexible with the timing of it. So. Yeah, I agree. I think you brought up a good point about being flexible because you mentioned like your freshman year goals have like slightly changed since then. And then you've had to adjust. And then you've also, now that you've had this gap year, that gives you even more flexibility. So that's definitely a very important part when it comes to like planning ahead, because there's so many factors that you can't take into account. The farther ahead it is, the harder it is to like account for mishaps that happen along the way. So yeah, I think that's something that like people who are trying to plan for the future should definitely take into account, giving themselves some space to like adjust in case that's like a necessary option. Exactly. You never know what's going to pop up during, you know, the years, those years. If you're playing that many years in advance, certainly you're not going to be able to predict, right? So I think being, if you're flexible, you're open yourself up to being more reciprocative of what's coming your way, right? I mean, you don't have to make use of everything, but maybe if it's like a slightest thing, that completely change your trajectory in the smallest yeah, way. I think that's all especially, that matters. Yeah, especially when it comes to like finances, because if you're investing in stocks or something like that, um, the market can be quite volatile. And like with what happened at the earlier last year, like there was a very big crash. So like for a lot of people, they had to make adjustments. So yeah, being flexible is just a very, very good thing to take into account. I think, yeah, I agree with a lot like what everyone said in terms of, I think it's really important to have a long-term plan, right? Like, you know, where are you going to be in like, for what's to say the underground, right? When I go into underground, where am I going to be in four years? What do I need to accomplish in these four years to go to the next step? And then what I did was I broke it down into like different phases. Like first is, okay, what are different aspects of where do I want to go? I want to go to med school. What do I need to do? I need to get good grades, get a good MCAT score, know when I'm applying and what extracurriculars do I need, right? Just, just to put it like very basically. Okay, then I look at, okay, these are the different things. And I broke it down in further. Okay, so what can I do now? What has to be done later? When can I start? Oh, also letters of rec. That's another thing that we need to figure out, right? This is, I'm, I guess I'm talking about this because it's particularly relevant to right now. And I say, okay, let's break it down. GPA, something you have to maintain the entire time. So no matter what, GPA is a priority. 
and this is something you mean constant and now extracurricular that can be broken up to a lot of different things there's one regular research there's um stuff like this stuff that's just like uh, volunteering and um act Active, activism in your community and there's like fun stuff stuff like this extracurriculars let or just things that you do for fun for me like beekeeping uh, rock climbing and just stuff like just stuff that you do for fun right and it's not necessarily you have to know when you have to do it because like i said things over the long term there's like a fog in front of you right it's like driving the fog you don't really know what's in front of you per se but you know where you're trying to go generally, yeah, right? General and you have to be open yeah. to those new opportunities. But the important thing you also have to realize is there are also timelines of when these things have to accomplish. And the earlier you attempt them, the better things will be. For example, with like getting into a club and being on board of a club, maybe you can, you always can push it back, right? You can wait till your second year to apply for for a board position third year right but the issue with doing that is the longer you wait the more high risk it becomes so you have to manage risk versus commitment like versus something like commitment right so for example you join a club your freshman year is it worth it for you to try and be on board of that club maybe it's not the thing you're super most passionate about versus trying to get an opportunity to try something versus an opportunity to get a board position, which is something valuable to your application. You have to weigh these two things in your head. And I personally have always weighed that you should first always do something that you're interested in, right? But also know that things that you're interested in can be facilitated by your involvement by them, such as small curiosity, small interests, like for example, finance, while initially may not be very interesting to you initially, but the more you learn about it and the more you know about it facilitates that like interest about it and it grows, right? So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there are a lot of things. It's really important for you to have like a long-term plan and to break down the pros and cons of every decision you make, right? Because I think the worst thing to do is to come in, know that you have to do something, but you don't have a plan to go about doing it. And you haven't really thought about the pros and the cons and weighing the, opportunity costs you lose for pursuing an activity versus not pursuing an activity. I think that's the biggest challenging, the biggest challenge you'd learn as an undergrad is just managing these like scales. I don't know if anyone has experienced something like this or have. Do you think, do you think you've gotten better at understanding opportunity costs and trying to do that whole process of breaking down something and then coming to a decision? I think it depends on certain aspects. I think with things like, um, Per, I think, okay, maybe this isn't the, like, maybe not the best advice to give per se, but I genuinely think it is usually a better idea for those who are starting new to take opportunities first and just say yes before being selective. Because the opportunity of cost of being selective is something that you earn from being um, productive, right? For example, the most selective clubs, opportunities, come about to you because you are deemed as like an outstanding individual that's worthy of such a position or not really worthy, but capable or more likely to be employed at that position, right? No, usually you don't come in with a fresh start, what I'm trying to say. And it's more important for those who are starting early to take new opportunities so that they can facilitate something for the longer term, right? So or you mentioned at one point high risk and opportunity costs. Like, so what... What, what do you mean or like why use those words when you're saying uh, 
it's higher risk when you like enter something later on than perhaps you could have done freshman year. Um, it's higher risk because say, oh, okay, this, I have this as a lot of term and I guess in my field of like, I don't know if I really want to do this thing, right? I don't know if I'm ready for the commitment, right? Because maybe it'll, it'll lock me away from doing another thing that I'm going to do later. But you have to think about it in terms of also, if you apply a year later, you have a year less to get in if you fail and a year less of things you can do if you do get in. And a lot of the impressive things you do require long-term um, or long-term mm. projects usually, right? So you don't know what they are. That's what I'm saying. That you don't know what anything is, but I'm just saying it's really important to have a plan to start it early. So yeah. just, I guess, uh, particularly to college, you just have less time to be involved in that club or activity if you start a year later. You yeah. have less time and you have less opportunities to be impressive because this okay i guess in terms mm. of yeah I, li I like what randy was about to say you have less opportunity to contribute i guess i don't know something along the lines. and i can give you a superficial example for it but for example like i'm on a i'm on a board right for a club and naturally i want to try to recruit the next wave of board members right so i do do I have an application, open up to all members, receive them, and then start reviewing them. So naturally, like for one position, let's say I have an applicant who is a current third year and would be a fourth year in the next year versus a current first year who would be a second year in the next second year, next year. So okay. naturally, I feel like, although this is kind of bad, I feel like that third year who will be a fourth year is look a little, has a slight... Uh, chip in their armor right like it's a slight dent in the sense that whenever these the current board members are reviewing the app they already know that this person can only contribute for one year right so then they can't really make a lasting impact in the board of the club for years to come whereas if they recruit someone who's younger and they can just train them they can they're they ensure that this person will be a part of the board for longer Right. Mm -hmm. there's also, yeah. There's yeah. also another issue. I guess this is just this is I guess it's not even a long-term decision, but this is also an issue, I guess, is on our end when you recruit someone, is that you don't compare them entirely to the pool. Or rather, you do entirely you compare an individual to the pool, but your age is a factor in your um your in, and I wouldn't say your value because everyone is valuable and we appreciate every applicant that we receive. Yeah. But I also think of it as if you have a third year and a first year, but they have the similar applicants, you take the first year because you can grow them versus a third year who hasn't demonstrated, um, I guess, activities earlier in their career. There's also kind of a higher expectation for older individuals to be more professional and to have more activities done because by age of, um, how, by virtue of how old they are, right? Yeah. And I think, I think that's fairly fair in a sense because it's like you have a, like someone who's younger trying to put a new opportunity versus someone who's older who's trying also get the same opportunity but they have less. But it's not it doesn't look it's not looked down upon. It just pushes the younger person higher. It's just unfortunate. Which yeah, I it is unfortunate that th this sort of advantage disadvantage dynamic comes up, right? Because we we're talking about long term decisions, right? Let's say in the case of Randy's third year, what if this person like completely shifted gears, right? What if they made the switch from, I don't know, humanities to life sciences, right? He, this human, 
this ex-humanity student lost out on two to three years of experience they could have gained into something more relevant to life science, right? So they're kind of starting on a clean slate, but they're also a third year. So it's overall, I think when you expect third, fourth years or just like seniors in general to have more accomplished, they have more, they should have more experience because they've done their long-term planning, I guess. Um, these are some situations, right, where people have drastically changed their plans, where sometimes are something that this plan, or sorry, this conception that we're so accustomed to kind of falters, if that makes sense. Because Yeah, so a, a lot of this falls under just competitiveness of applicants. Wait, I have a hypothetical question. So let's say, like the example Saichandra was talking about, someone's changed their majors to something completely different, and they're now older than this other applicant, and they have the same resumes. But what if the person who changed their um, major because their previous classes no longer apply, now they have to become a super senior. So they'll, they'll be staying at UK longer. So let's say like both applicants still have around three years left in UCLA. Like would that affect um, your decision? Because they still have the same amount of like time left at UCLA, but there's like, there's a second applicant's like mistake early on in their life, like factor on into your decision. Or is it around the same thing now that they have the same three years left? Um, I guess to directly answer your question is, is I guess a directly answer in like a roundabout way in that I guess I will preface this by saying that we are not, when I, for my orgs, when I'm interviewing people and I'm accepting people and for board positions, or even if I'm working in any type of form, that capacity where I have to judge someone on that like type of, um, those like criterions, I don't necessarily see age in that kind of factor where it's like, oh, they don't have that much opportunity. And it's actually a kind of nuanced thinking. I, and there's no like single, single like standard in which you consistently apply to. And it's usually the only thing that's consistent is how much value do I think this person can provide to my this position and how much can this position teach or allow that person to grow and those are the two biggest indicators right and that's and it's, it's essentially an investment and in however you determine that right so in your case where it's like oh they're going to stay longer and this is on them to um package their story and their mission accordingly such that i maybe so i re they've regained clarity in what they wanted to do and this is like well, their first steps of doing they recognize that a lot of the things that they've done so far don't um, represent um, aren't indicative of this field but when they were working this field look at what I did for this in this field right and it shows sure they didn't they don't have things in this field but you know what their past activities for their previous field shows their commitment and their dedication to their craft and I think that is sufficient that speaks to their character right like I don't think it's bad on, on like I guess and then like I guess on the collegiate like or club level which is kind of like snooty and like elite elitist to even talk about in one sense but that's just I think that's my take on that like yeah. I think it's really mm -hmm. just how you package things is important yeah storytelling is very important to me too personally I like to rely on a lot of past experiences I've had and sort of package them and then like, you know I guess narrate that story to people Right. I guess that's at the very fundamental. Um, that's who I am as a person. So for me, when I see that this person, so both people have same number of years, right? 
but then one of them made this switch. I think if this person is able to convey basically how that came about, right, then that's going to be a more compelling, I think, for me personally. So if they're able to sort of show their intentions, maybe draw in a little bit of like ethos, logos, pathos, or pathos, sorry. Um, yeah, again, I think that's going to be even more of a factor for me. And I think that's something that age and wisdom, I think that's where age will help with the wisdom, right? So I see that, but then also they're able to bring commit to the same number of years into the future. So at that point, it's just going to boil down to the story and the experience because that's going to be the unique motivation for this person, mm -hmm. which the other person might not have, right? I just have a question for, I guess, Daniel and Hori. I guess my, I guess my insight challenges career is very contingent on very, um, pointed activities that we do and we have a very specific reason why we're doing it and i'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing right for example if you're saying oh i'm doing research because i need a publication i don't think that's a great thing because it's like i guess it goes against the reason why people pursue science right but i don't think it's a bad thing because it's inherently what we want to do is a certain career but there are certain just competitive blocks that you have to do just to make it through, right? And they're honestly just become symbols of your, um, what you call it? Symbols of your, I guess, accolades. And they're just like, essentially like Boy Scouts stickers to say, oh, I did this thing, right? And it's just like, it's like hurdle hooping, essentially, right? I don't think it's a bad thing that we have, well, I don't know, actually, I'm not gonna say, I don't think it's a bad thing that we have to do it. I'm just not saying it's a bad thing that we do something because it's just jumping through the hurdles, right? Because you do so, what you have to do. And it kind of sucks that it's not super noble, but, but that's a different topic. So I'm asking for you is what does, what feels or what decides whether you take up an activity in your undergrad years before your, I guess, your um, progression in your professional life in, after, after UCLA? I mean, so what you were uh, commenting on there, like there's a lot of just hoops that you got to jump through as uh with you and with size career, uh, you're just commenting on like all the different kind of club activities and that you kind of have to be a part of in order for to go that, down that pre-med track, all that uh, human interaction, applying different things, uh, competing with students in order to get into those clubs and then make an impact early on. I'll give, yeah. you, a good, I'll give you a good example of one. That's not just like doing research or working. Letters of recommendation, okay. right? Uh -huh. They... You get them through, through having a good um, relationship with your professors, right? Yes. That's the idea, right? You show, you work hard in their class to get a letter of recommendation. If you work hard and you interact with them and they know you as a person, right? But mm -hmm. here's the thing about them. They've become pretty much a prerequisite for people applying to grad schools. Professors are now in the position where they have to write letters of recommendation just in, in, in order to foster the next years or the, the future of their um, field, right? Yeah. Work on them that they are not necessarily paid for. It's just extracurricular stuff they have to do. And they're expected to know, say, in our case, like 300 students per quarter and a decent amount of them will ask them for letters of rec of their good. And then this on the student side is they have to go through and stand out 
amongst the crowd just to like reach out for them and then acquire a letter, right? It's work on them. It's work on our end. And it's just something that the, the institution where we apply to want to see just to see like, oh, that they talk to their professors, right? And it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it feels so like a saying, prerequisite. It's, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it just kind of sucks that you don't get to choose whether that's something that you want to go through with or not. It's, I don't think it's a good system because on one hand, it becomes at a certain point that, you know, just due to the influx amount of people that are applying to these programs versus the amount of professors that are in the school, it's yeah. quite frankly an unsustainable system. One, you have the case where students get like letters of recommendation because professors feel like they just have to do it, which like defeats the point of a letter of rec. And then the professor side is just now it's like a lot of, quite frankly, a lot of mm -hmm. work. Like imagine writing like, a recommendation yeah, yeah. for someone every single like year, like hundreds, if like tens, if not hundreds, like it's a lot of people to get to know of as well. Yeah, right. Like, mm -hmm. how do you really know that student? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, that's definitely on the engineering side. Well, I, I can't really relate to a lot of what you guys are talking about. Uh, this this thing with clubs. I, I'm a part of a few clubs, and I've just kind of been there throughout. I'm not too involved, but again, like you don't have to be as an engineer in order to uh, continue down the career and get a good job and whatnot. It's, it's more other priorities that decide whether you pass your interviews that are, um, yeah, I guess uh, a, a lot of just like the basic steps in order to get like a good software engineering job or kind of just figuring out the coding interview like it's necessary but um in that sense that it's less work to professors i would say yeah uh, i don't think just, we have that kind of, kind of hard to compare between, yeah. yeah we don't have that similar uh, dynamic between professor and student because like we don't really need letters of rec and i think the only time you would is usually if you want to go to masters right right where masters or phd and yeah. that is a small subset of the people in our undergrad classes I think yeah um, because you don't really need to get a master's to get into like a good job for software mm -hmm. development it's not it's only if you are very interested in perhaps like AI or cybersecurity that you would go into yeah. like master's it might, it might differ for other engineering disciplines actually but I'm not too sure to yeah, be we're honest just talking about like CS and stuff for, for computer science it's uh it's definitely not the or just not the case because a lot of people go into industry and don't continue down the academia path uh, past undergrad. I know a professor, uh, he would only give, um, offer giving letters of rec, I think, for maybe two or three people in the class if they, the, the ones with the highest grade in the class. So, yeah, it seems like a much narrower and there's not as much demand or necessity for those letters of rec. And again, with clubs, uh, there's, there's really not like too much pressure to actually get involved. It's just if you want to do it and you, you can't grow other skills such as like uh, leading a team or those kinds of skills. But again, those kinds of skills aren't essential to software engineering, at least when you're starting. They're not as essential. It's not what they look for you. Look, uh, yeah, they don't look for that at all.
Yeah, I so. think for CS, it's a lot more, there's a lot more freedom involved. There are good traits or good things to have in your resume per se, but there are like multiple different paths to reach that. Like for CS, probably the most common way of demonstrating mastery is like through internships and stuff like that. Like pretty much everyone will get an internship and yeah. like the earlier you start, the better. That entire thing we were talking about earlier about like, um, maintaining priorities and the earlier you get in like the easier it is to get the next one and then you can go up from there so internships are a way to do that but even in terms of internships they're not mandatory in the same way that your guys is like club involvement mm -hmm. and and like letters of rec are mandatory like no one said that you have to like have these internships it's just it's just helpful like and i know like we've known people who don't do internships and they still get like a really good job so there's a lot more freedom involved it's not as restrictive, which I think is quite helpful. I know a lot of people for their first internship, um, they didn't even worry about getting an internship for a company that they were interested in working at. A lot of people started mm -hmm. out as um, front end developers, like they were just doing websites and stuff. And I know a lot of people don't wanna make websites for a living, but for their first internship, that's what they did. And then it opened up pathways for them to pursue different internships for the field that they were more interested in. So I, I think in that sense, um, Computer science. I can't speak for other engineering fields, but in that sense, computer yeah. science has like a lot more healthier way for fostering like growing kids. I think. I mean, maybe not healthy for the engineers because it's a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a definitely different. It's healthier for everyone in terms of maybe not requiring the social aspect as much or not pressuring people uh, to have to socialize with all that. But at the same time, you don't get that socialization aspect. And that yeah. can be bad because there's a lot of antisocial engineers yeah. out there. <laughs> and I there's mean, also that, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm saying like, okay, I, I will say, take a preface. I, I do get the value of all the things that I'm doing. I understand the point of letters of rec. Like I get it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm also like, I also would like to say for those who are wondering, I actually do enjoy everything that I do. And it's, I'm not, I'm not just like, complaining that i have to do all these i get their i understand their purpose in the grand scheme of things i was just trying to point out like a flaw in like the say the letter of rec aspect of the application in, in terms of how it's somewhat unsustainable at, say at least at a large university it's not the most sustainable system in my yeah, is that or is that example uh, prevalent in other cases as well though like that not sustainable part of because of too much, too many people having to communicate, or is that specific to letters of rec? Because I'm, I'm struggling kind of to see how that uh, applies to other some other of the hoops that you mentioned for you guys that, that you have to jump through. Um, see, I think of a lot of the hoops that we have to go through is the idea is that the general idea is that you do all these things because you're you're a good person, right? You want to mm -hmm. demonstrate that you are a good person and you do a good person because you help the underserved. And okay, I'm speaking this on a, like a like a meta level where it's like, I'm not trying to say that I don't feel this way. Like I'm not help. I'm helping people just because I want to get into med school because that defeats the whole person. I want to get into med school because I want to help people and I want to serve my community. And that's like, that that is at that at its core, right? But think of it like when you're applying to your job, the coding interview aspect of it is to demonstrate that you know how to code, right? The applying to clubs, 
uh, working in clubs, being a leader in those clubs, demonstrate your capacity as a leader and your, um, your efforts and efforts towards serving, helping the underserved, right? And to, and to make sure that this is what you actually want to do. Working in the hospitals to prove that you actually like working in a hospital environment. It's just, all of it is just different prerequisites. Like they're not required to do, but they've essentially became required because everyone does them. Yeah. So it becomes essentially a rat race, right? Except this, becomes, is, this is the same thing as uh, high schoolers and the SAT and uh, volunteering all over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. I think, yeah, and now that I remember that, that's probably the, most prevalent example of this, yeah. where you got a bunch of stressed high schoolers doing, trying to do everything they can to get into colleges. I think my interesting question, I think what Daniel said about how people do like website design and then do other mm -hmm. stuff more they're interested in. So I guess my, I talked about, the, I alluded to this earlier, but I want to know what are your thoughts on not being selective on what you really do early on in your undergrad? Do you agree or disagree? So like yeah, I think oh. I agree. I think uh, like I mentioned before, like how a lot of people already do this, like they are not selective with their first internship unless they have like mm -hmm. multiple options. Like you usually just go with whatever you get. I mean, it's not as big a deal for first years, and it's only for a summer usually. So it's not like a super yes. long commitment, and you do have Pretty years much. afterward. It's basically what you had said earlier because. Usually those people, they get their internship like pretty early on. And then so they still have two years, maybe three years for some people afterwards to like get other internships that they're more interested in. And in the same way that you said, like if people wait longer, then they have more risk and less stuff they can do. So for those people who get internships their fourth year, then they have to worry about, oh, if this is my only internship for my entire college career. Like I want to get something that I, one, I like and two, it's related to my future job if possible. Um, if you're stuck with a, web design one as a fourth year and you don't want to do web design then it's not as great as if you had gotten web design two years earlier and then you have moved on into software engineering or like some cybersecurity thing your fourth year so i think it's basically the same as you you guys like earlier on just take what you want or take what you can get and then later on pick what you want yeah i think the other thing is uh, I, I guess for a lot of software engineers or cs people it's kind of like, when do you actually know what you want? Uh, you, you kind of have to try those other things first. Um, try, try a bit of everything first. I think a lot of the internships are more to, uh, not really so much as to learn about the content you're working on, just learning how it is to actually work uh, in software engineering in general. Not so much focusing on the concepts. It doesn't matter if you like it. You just, you learn how it is kind of to work in that environment and how that how that all works out uh but yeah i like because i'm sure there's a i i quite like i quite like cs personally but I, I think there's a lot of people out there who do software engineering but like they're not really as into it um so again for them uh it's kind of hard to hard to say uh when it's at the point that they actually like what they're doing and what jobs they would be passionate over others so it's kind of more just that you're looking for anything you can get i feel especially that that's kind of like the whole thing internships are with software engineering just looking at what you can get in order to build your resume and then eventually find a job once you graduate and yeah i'm, I'm not sure if like for everyone it is quite the same that 
they actually get something that they always want to do. But that's that's just my take. I don't know if I made that clear. Yeah, I mean, life at the end of the day is a lot of using building blocks, right? You try to build off of what you've gained and then use that as a stepping stone for next year or stage in your life. So clear, that's pretty like, visible with your guys' internship like pursuit, right? I mean, certainly you're not selective, but then as soon as you guys gain more experience and then you finally hone some of your skills, you can be a little bit more selective in the path that you go through, right? Mm -hmm. And then obviously like that's not something that ends with college, right? I mean, post-grad, um, you guys are going to get a job. Maybe you use this as leverage to get maybe a higher position or maybe a new position uh, again. So I think at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? So I, when we think about long-term decision-making, it's just sometimes we just never know whether what we're going for is the final building block or maybe there's more ahead down the road, right? So I think yep. at the end of the day, that's what that's how I see it personally. So just try to take as much material possible right now, like in the present, and try to make most of whatever I sense fits me the best. And then if it works out, like it does, if it doesn't, then at least you did it, right? So just tying in everything that you guys have said today. I mean, yeah, sometimes you don't always have to be thinking ahead, just got to find the balance. You also have to remember to live in the moment. Yeah, that's true. I think, okay, so I I personally don't think you, you I think a lot of people shouldn't be super selective when they, they're starting out, right? And I think being able to be selective is a natural product of being really good or really um, selective or competitive as an applicant in general, right? Like, I think it's going to be a little weeby, but like, um, have you guys read Haikyuu or heard of Haikyuu? It's like a volleyball show, right? I've um, heard of it. Yeah. Point is, there's like some quote in it somewhere, like somewhere in it where it's like, being strong means like being free, right? It means that like, I think a lot of things in life, the fun or rather the opportunity to do whatever you want comes first from being strong, competitive, or like, I guess in this say, we'll just say productive, right? Like once you're good in whatever field you're in is when you actually have the opportunity to be free. And I think early on for a lot of people, if I were to give advice, it's like, I would not worry too much about, for example, if you're, if you're looking for research, I don't think you have to worry too much about doing research that you are super passionate about, right? I think it's more important that you go, you work in a lab where you have the opportunity to become free in the sense that you have learned skills that make you applicable anywhere you want to go. Right. I think that is more important than doing research you love at first. Once, once, yeah. once you go up and up, yes, please do the thing that you love and enjoy and facilitate your own personal growth and get your, get your ground, like um, meaning out of life. Right. But at first value opportunities that give you opportunities for the future, more than valuing things that are, that'll make that to int immediately interest you is, is what I would suggest. Yeah, 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 of course. That's why, like, a lot of people just like take whatever internship they're offered at first because, like, yeah. it's a stepping yeah. stone to the next one. So, again, now that I now that I reflect back on it, sometimes it is those opportunities that maybe you think it's kind of like going to be meh that you end up kind of liking, and 
like after learning a, more about more and more about it, becoming having a stronger foundation in whatever it is you're doing, you actually like it. Yeah. And yeah. That's true. It could turn out that you really like it. So yeah, then why not make the most out of it while you're at Expos? I think I think we've beaten this horse pretty hard. <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's about it. Though I do have a little note for um, we had mentioned at the earlier part of the episode that this is actually season two. So yeah, uh, welcome to season two, I suppose. Uh, season two of Meet Us in the Lounge podcast. First episode. We're not sure exactly how many episodes are going to be in it. And we're still working on the structure. But as uh, episodes come out, you'll probably get to figure out a little bit more. We do plan on having one special, at least, just like the chip challenge from a few episodes ago per season. So if you guys have any ideas, things that you would like to see, um, do let us know. Uh, we are available on YouTube, so do leave us a comment there. This episode will be hopefully posted shortly, as well as a humongous wave of like eight or nine episodes. It'll be released <laughs> probably sometime in the beginning of April. It's not April Fool's. We're actually going to post like seven or eight episodes that we stocked up over last year. So yeah, that's all I had to say about season two. Yeah, You know, the reason why all of them being uploaded at the same time is actually a strategic reason, right? When I watch a new show, I like to binge watch it all. I don't like to watch it weekly. So we'll drop it yeah. as a binge. We're just a Netflix special, you guys, right? Yeah. Season two, you know, we say we'll address it. We might never address it. I'm be real. But, you know, you can think of it. It's our second year um, since starting this podcast. Really happy to see where this has gone. And I've seen a lot of growth in how we've um, learned how to communicate. And just, you know, the topics that we talk about. And super happy that it's still ongoing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that concludes our 17th episode of the Meet Us in the Lounge podcast. Um, you can, like Danny said, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, is it Apple Podcasts? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see everyone sometime in the year. Yeah.